This is Giving the Game Away, the podcast where we explore the journeys of elite athletes and uncover lesser spoken about topics from the world of sport. And coming up on today's episode. Little old James Taylor walks in and I'm, I don't re- usually get too nervous, but I was pretty nervous and going, shit, pretty nervous here. Uh, but I went, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And I, I succeed. I got 98 not out um, when we were up against it. Um, and that's the thing. I love challenges. I love uh, any challenges that are thrown at me. Uh, you just got to embrace it. People thought I was too small and KP obviously jumped on that bandwagon and, and said stuff uh, about me because he wanted other people in the team other than me first game at Cambridge against Cambridge University and I started having real pains in my chest. One thing led to another. I was on oxygen. I thought I was going to die at 10.30am in Cambridge. Today I'm so grateful and happy to be able to say that we've got the opportunity to chat to James Taylor for an hour. He'll be very well known by the listeners who are cricket fans. For those who aren't, James is a former England cricketer who really did succeed at the highest level of his sport. He was an incredibly talented sportsman and something that was always said about James was how he would leave no stone unturned in his preparation. By 26, he'd played seven tests for England and 27 one-day internationals and had achieved probably what is the best thing an Englishman can do in the sport, which is score an international 100 against Australia. He came onto the international scene when I was about 13 or 14 and being as obsessed with cricket as I was back then, he was a player I watched a lot of and would have looked up to. So it's a big thing for us to be chatting to him today. He has an incredible ability to adapt to change and to remain so positive. He had some massive news in 2016 that would change his life and the lives of those around him. But he's had the strength to come back and have a massive impact on the game even after this. And it's just another reason why his story is absolutely incredible. And that news that Joel is alluding to there is that in 2016, James had been diagnosed with arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy, or ARVC, which is a life-threatening heart condition similar to the one sustained by Fabrice Moamba, the footballer who collapsed on the pitch at White Hart Lane. Fortunately, like Fabrice, James survived, but devastatingly, it spelled the end of his cricketing career. That was particularly tough to take for James because he just had the heights of a historic series win in South Africa and he'd firmly secured his place in the England side with his good performances. So to have it so cruelly taken away in just one day in 2016 was tragic. Not only could James no longer play cricket again, the sport that he loved and had spent most of his life playing, but he could no longer play any sport at all or any activity that could increase his heart rate whatsoever. And for someone who loved competing, training and staying fit, that must have been extremely tough. But the positive character that James is, he quickly changed his focus from what he couldn't do to what he can do. And that has resulted in him enjoying his new lifestyle, working as a coach, as a commentator and also as a selector for the England team. Despite having his playing career cut short, James still achieved so much in cricket and it'll be really great to chat to him. And with both Joel and I being big cricket fans, James's journey is one we're really familiar with. So it'll be a real pleasure today to speak to him and hear about the story from the man himself. As always, if you enjoy this episode, please do leave us a rating on Apple or Spotify, good or bad, as it really does help. Also, check out our YouTube, Instagram and Twitter for more content. James, thank you so much for giving up your evening. It was so good to get a message back from you on Insta saying that you wanted to 
come on because not only have we grown up watching you play at the highest level, but you've got such interesting story and you offer really valuable insights into all things cricket. So we're really keen to get into that for the next hour. You're obviously someone who is renowned for being incredibly hardworking, but you obviously had a lot of sporting talent and played a number of sports growing up. So would you be able to just tell us a bit about your early days and how you think playing a range of sports allowed you to develop and do so well in cricket? Yeah, uh, thank you. Thanks, first and foremost, thanks for having me on. Uh, great work with the podcast, guys. Uh, brilliant starting up in lockdown. It's perfect time uh, to keep people entertained um, and to keep yourselves entertained as well. So thanks for having me on. Um, yeah, so I was very lucky and kind of privileged in a way. I went to boarding school at Shrewsbury, Maidor Hall from when I was seven. So I was at boarding school. I went early to my first prep school. So I was at boarding school because my parents wanted to get rid of me probably uh, and keep me more entertained playing sport. So I went a little bit early uh, from ever since I could walk. Uh, I was on a, I used to ride. So I was riding with my family. Um, I was on a horse ever since I could literally move. Uh, and then from then on at school, I was kicking a ball, throwing a ball, catching a ball. Uh, and I, I love playing all ball sports Um football I was actually probably best at football and rugby I thought that was the reason I went to Shrewsbury to play football because I thought it was the best uh, like public school for football um, so I went there to play football and then my kind of cricket career uh, took off um, when I went to Shrewsbury ironically to play football but I ended up playing cricket um, and I, I, I signed for Worcester Academy and then it went from there but um, yeah, I'm a big advocate of playing as many sports as you can for as long as you can. So whenever I'm doing Q&As or coaching and speaking to parents, I'm always talking to parents and suggesting that they keep their kids playing as many sports as they can, a wide variety and range of sports because of uh, hand-eye coordination, different movement patterns that you learn from different sports and also learning how to win in different ways, whether it be hitting a ball uh, with a racket, throwing a ball, kicking a ball, different movement patterns. Um, and you're learning to win and understand different kinds of games. Um, and also, like, this kind of gets lost, I reckon. I've learned so much about myself and so much about the world through other individuals. I've, I've been in a team all my life, um, whether it be football, rugby, cricket, fives, um, so many different teams with so many different people from all different areas, different backgrounds, different cultures. You learn so much about yourself and about the world. And that's what's put me in such good stead to deal with what I've dealt with in life is because I learned so much on the journey through sport. Um, and if you can't, if you can't deal with people and, understand people and know what they like and what they don't like about you as yourself you you're not really going to last too long in a in a sporting team and you're it's certainly going to become apparent to you that people don't like you so you kind of have to figure out yourself as well uh, so i'm a, i love sport it's been all my life um and i've had a great journey through it yeah, I, th I think it is really positive to play as many sports as you can growing up. And all the athletes we've spoken to have all said it's been really beneficial to them for their careers, particularly for yourself as well, because you are such an athletic guy, especially in your cricketing career. You were renowned for your fielding and, and being very agile. Um, so it was obviously going to help in that part of your career. Something else I'm interested in is your five foot five, which... Um, Come on. Sorry, sorry, sorry to drop that in early. <laughs> but obviously, 
obviously cricket's a sport where height doesn't doesn't really make too much difference in fact it can be a benefit being slightly shorter Sachin Tendulkar obviously one of the greatest of all time also five foot five but what I'm interested did anyone ever say to you growing up that it could be a problem or did you ever have any obstacles growing up with that I I honestly no um and I think it it was never an obstacle for me it might have for other people thinking oh he's too small but that kind of it worked in my favor um because I could always run faster than people. I was, I could always hit the ball harder than people. So it was never an issue for me. It was an issue for other people because they, it's, it's like in life, you look at something or look at somebody and you automatically have an opinion without knowing anything about them. And so many people would have had that about me, but it, I'm sure it works in my favor on, on a number of occasions. It made me look even better in a way because when they saw what I could do, they went, wow rather than expecting it so in a way it might have helped um but it certainly made me have to work harder because like you said i, I am a little bit smaller than most but i was always relatively pretty strong for my size and fitness tests in england i was fitter than anybody and I'd pound for pound i was as strong as anybody uh but i think i was that because i felt i had to do a little bit more to kind of balance things out uh, but in the end, that worked out because I, like I said, I was quicker, stronger than most. And I can hit the ball as hard as anybody. Um, so it didn't work against me. But I'm sure in people's eyes, I'm sure I didn't play for England because people thought I was too small. Uh, and they had this perception because they didn't know me. They didn't see me train as much as, let's say, my county, um, the guys that I played with at Leicester and at Notts, uh, who saw me every day and they knew exactly what I could do. They knew what shots I had. Um, and they knew how fast I was and how strong I was. So that it wasn't really an issue for me. It might have been for other people. And that theme that clearly runs through your upbringing of being incredibly hardworking and always renowned for taking your physical fitness very seriously, do you think that allowed you to have that early success with Leicestershire and allow you to transition as smoothly as you did into professional cricket? Yeah, uh, it's a, yeah, it's a good question. I... Um, I love training. I love learning. Even now I love to learn uh, different techniques, different things, um, and just try and get better. Whatever I did, I tried to get better at. Um, I was super competitive, uh, always just wanted to find an edge over somebody else or over the team and how to get myself uh, that little bit better. Um, my transition into professional cricket, because everybody thinks about my really good first year, but I'd actually played the previous year and I was pretty poor, to be honest. Um, I was still a schoolboy cricket, schoolboy cricketer playing uh, first-class cricket uh, and not quite knowing my game as well as I, I could have in the first-class arena. Uh, but I learned. That was the thing. I learned really quickly. Uh, my biggest strength was adapting to the situation and, and adapting full stop. And I learned really quickly from my mistakes. And I was like a sponge. I love to learn from different people. I had some great people around me. Uh, when I moved to Leicester, I had Tim Boone, who was an amazing coach, um, quite a technical coach, but also um, was really positive and had so much time for me so I could learn off him. But I had so many great professionals around me, like H.D. Ackerman, Paul Nixon um, was, was outstanding. And I still speak to him uh, a lot now. Um, and I was quite an impressionable young guy wanting to learn and ambitious, um, as well um so yeah i did have a good start but that was i also had a slow start initially um and i i just love to learn from the people around me 
Yeah, it was a great start, particularly that second year, as you say, and you were shortly after rewarded with an England call-up, um, a great reward for, for all your hard work and your hard training that you've mentioned before. Um, what was it like going into that England team? Obviously, they were one of the best teams at the world, maybe the best at that time. That must have been quite a daunting experience for someone so young to be a part of straight away. Yeah, it, it was. Um, it was Yeah, it was an interesting time. I, I was very lucky to come into the side when they were world number one and then against the world number two. So um, it was an incredibly tough side to play against your debut in the middle of a series as well. It was typical me. Nothing ever came like easily. Um, like we spoke about earlier, nothing was straightforward. I like a nice, it would be nice to make your debut start of the series, uh, build up with the team, know the lads in the team um, against no, I'm not going to mention any sides, but let's say a lesser side than South Africa who turned out to be number one side in the world. Um, Two, two tests later after we lost to them at uh, Lords, uh, without the likes of Callis, Dale Stane, Mornay Morkel, um, Philander, Imran Tahir, like three out of the best four seam bowlers in the world. Um, so it was a, it was a tough um, challenge, let alone not knowing the guys in the team really well. Like um, I was lucky that I knew Brody and uh, Swanee. Matt Pryor was outstanding. He took me under his wing um, and he, I think he liked the fact that I had energy and I really, I buzzed around in the field and I was really energetic uh, and, and positive. And he's one, a lovely guy, but a tough, tough character and desperate to win and desperate to throw everything at every moment. And I think I did that. So he took me under his wing. Uh, but it was, it, was, it was a tough start. I mean, me and KP put on 150, 149 or something like that. Um, my first partnership. And, and I like to think my innings got overlooked because he was so unbelievable uh, and played that phenomenal innings, which was one of the best innings you'll see. Um, arguably, if he played to the situation, he wouldn't have played anything like that innings. Um, and it was, a, it was a phenomenal innings against one of the best attacks. And I just blunted it at the other end and tried to get him on strike. Uh, but nobody remembers that I was playing to the situation. <laughs> uh, but I, it was, yeah, it was, it was a great time. I was very fortunate to come off the back of 150, like literally the day before I, um, I went down to Headingley. Um, I got that call from Jeff Miller. And I was about 100 not out overnight. And then I got 150, 160, and then went down to Headingley. Uh, it was an experience. Uh, in the middle of a series and obviously all the turmoil that went on on the back of that test match with KP and then got left out the next game it kind of just blew up around me uh, yeah it was it was an interesting time can you describe exactly how that felt making your debut in a time when it was yeah there was so much going on it was probably you know one of the most confusing times in english cricket for the last however many years uh, yeah it was but it, you know what you only know what you know. And I, that was my first entrance into international cricket and that's all I'd ever seen. Uh, it was a bit bizarre seeing some of the antics going on on, on the field from certain individuals. Um, but that was all I knew. That was test cricket to me. I, I, um, I hadn't experienced it before. It was a little bit bizarre, some of the things going on, but I was so focused and kind of introverted and focused on myself. I didn't really look and bother about what was going on. So I kind of kept my head down, little old me, debut, lots of rubbish flying on around me. But I didn't notice, if I'm going to be honest, I didn't notice a lot of it. 
because I had my head down and just worried about myself and what I needed to do for the side. So I kind of missed a lot of all the rubbish going on around me. And that it was only up until like, honestly, uh, six months later, a few months later that I knew anything that went on. Um, well, a number of things that went on. Obviously I got murmurs of what was going on. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was an interesting time. Yeah, there, there certainly were a few divisive characters in that dressing room, but also there were some great characters as well. It was a, such an incredible side and it must have been great to be uh, among players like the likes of Cook, Pryor, Swan, who had achieved so much in their career and had such a winning philosophy. You must have learned a lot from those guys. Yeah, I, I was just, it was just a shame. I should have played a lot more. And again, this is, people say, I will never use it as, as an excuse. People say I wasn't. I didn't play more then initially because people thought I was too small and KP obviously jumped on that bandwagon and, and said stuff uh, about me because he wanted other people in the team other than me. I didn't know KP. Uh, he was, we never, for some reason, we never got on. Uh, I, not that I didn't like him initially because I didn't know him. He just took it on himself not to, be a decent bloke to me or with me around for some reason um but yeah there was some so many good people around like think of that side the it was number one side in the world and I, I played with these guys I like just look through the side Strauss, Cook, Trot, Bell, Peterson, uh, me, Pryor, Swan, Broad, Anderson um it was phenomenal so it, one of England's greatest ever sides and to be a part of that was nice um uh, and it was it was a massive learning curve. That's probably the proudest thing I've one of the proudest things um, ever. Well, I've thought about in myself because there was so much rubbish going on around me. I was 21. I making my debut, and there was so much noise. And KP had obviously said stuff about me um, and abused me. Um, but when I heard about it, usually, you know what it's like, guys, when somebody's abusing you or you're being bullied at school, your heart would sink because somebody's being nasty to you. Nobody likes that. But honestly, I didn't care. And that is not in an arrogant way, but I'm really proud of myself that nothing, I, you know, those feelings that you get inside when somebody's being nasty. I didn't get that. If Alistair, if Alistair Cook or Andrew Strauss had been going, that little James Taylor, he's rubbish. He's no good. It, etc uh, etc et your heart would sink but honestly nothing inside I didn't have any feelings because I didn't respect him at the time because I'd seen how he was and what he'd been saying and how he behaved I, I didn't respect him uh, as much as I should as a cricketer legend brilliant love watching him but as a person at the time um, and what I saw I, I didn't respect him that much so it didn't hurt me as much and it seems like you're quite good at sort of just focusing on what you need to do because if we go a few years down the line you're then playing at the MCG you get 98 not out on what is the MCG with 80,000 people there is the probably the biggest stage in cricket how did that feel to be out there playing in front of so many people and how did you deal with the nerves that inevitably came when you were playing that game yeah so this is this is what again a number like I'm talking about the proudest moments of my life um but this is like another proud moment like this is why you do all the training all the hard yards uh, off the field I always say train hard play easy I put in so many hours I didn't have the best technique but I had a really efficient technique because I knew what I was doing when I got nervous I knew what I would do early on in my innings I knew what my triggers were like I knew what my uh, positions were like so I knew my game really well as well as anybody 
could because of all the hours that I put in. And MCG, first game of the World Cup, England, Australia, doesn't really get much bigger than that. Um, in front of it, I think MTG holds 100,000 people. It wasn't quite full. There was 90-odd thousand people there. Mitchell Johnson comes back on. They've got two slips, a gully and a short leg. Uh, we're four down and little old James Taylor walks in. And I I'm, I'm don't re- usually get too nervous, but I was pretty nervous and going, shit, I'm pretty nervous here. Um, but I went, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. I've done, I've worked so hard and I know my technique. I know I'm, gonna, I'm a little bit nervous. So I know I'm going to get a little bit too far across my stumps. My feet are going to move too much, but I'll be fine because it'll get me out of trouble. Um, my technique's good enough to be able to withstand this. Um, and I did. And I, I succeed. I got 98 not out um, when we were up against it. Um, and that's the thing. I love challenges. I love uh, any challenges that are thrown at me. Uh, you just got to embrace it. Um, and th- that, again, a cliche, uh, get uncomfortable, uh, be uncomfortable in uncomfortable positions, in uncomfortable moments, get used to being uncomfortable. And that's what I, um, that's what I tried to do, uh, challenge myself whenever I could, whether it be in pressurised situations as a young kid at Loughborough, um, training with an older England side or whatever situation, it, just embrace that challenge. Um, the better players you play against, the better you're going to look when you succeed. And that was what I thought about. I think that's quite a powerful mantra to have in sport. So a lot of people would have been in your position playing against Australia in front of all those people and they'd have thought, oh no, if I get out now, I'm going to look stupid and I'm going to mess up and I'm going to fail. But you actually saw it as an opportunity to succeed and look great. And that's just a really powerful philosophy to have. That's, yeah. And it always did my head in when I was playing in sides I can think of the moments the amount of moments I played in professional cricket teams when somebody would go oh my god uh, Chris Tremlett's playing today oh my god Stuart Meek is playing today oh my god Stuart Raw's playing and I'm like god guys toughen up this is going to look so good when we succeed when we when I score 100 or I get 50 I'm going to look so good here like pressure pressure to me is so interesting because Pressure is here. On the opposite side of pressure is the opportunity. Um, because any time somebody perceives it to be a pressurised situation, uh, the other side, there is an opportunity for you to look brilliant. Like the World Cup final, you, like a lot of the lads naturally will be nervous. And some parts of the team would be thinking, shit, World Cup final, England, we've never won a World Cup final in England. We're playing against New Zealand. They've got an outstanding side. We've won so many games. We have to lose now. Like, but then the other side, this is a great opportunity. England at Lords, nobody's ever done this before. How good is this going to look? I'm going to be that man um, to bowl that final over, to be underneath that final catch, to be hitting those runs. And those are the kind of guys that you want in your team. Um, and that's what I try to be. It's, it's a lot easier said than done, but um, that, that's the way I kind of try to think about it. Yeah, I, I was watching highlights of that knock earlier, actually, and he definitely sees the challenge. You're like coming down to Hazelwood, like hitting him over the top. You obviously were rising to the challenge. And then, however, longer after that, you then got 100, didn't you, against Australia again. Was that the best you ever felt, you think, in, in your career? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I found one-day cricket a lot easier. I mean, one-day cricket's a lot easier than test cricket. Um, I, I loved, I can remember being in the middle against Australia and um, and like, cutting it, pulling it, sweeping it, reverse sweeping it, and thinking it is the same old game. 
this is great because I've done this so many times and now I'm doing it against the best in the world and I'm not changing anything. Uh, I can succeed at the top level quite comfortably doing what I do. And everybody, like, you've got to change. You've got to change the way you play in international cricket. Yes, sometimes you might have to. You might have to adapt to the conditions or to a certain type of bowler. But it was so nice to go into international cricket in one-day cricket and be able to succeed doing what I'd done, uh, playing like I had a Knox jersey on my back, not playing like I needed to play like an England cricketer, whatever that looks like. Be yourself and and trust yourself, trust your instincts and trust your ability, what's got you there, that it's going to succeed. And that's why I always try, even in my position now, don't try and play like an England player. Play like James Taylor, play like Hans Scott um, in a whatever shirt that's got you there. Um, and that's that's the way I try to be. Be true to yourself as well. Um, and it was great fun just playing the way I wanted to play in international cricket. Yeah, I guess that's the way to do it. You've just got to see it as the same game that you've been playing ever since you're a kid. You're just wearing a slightly different shirt this time. It's just because just it's got three lines on, on your chest. It doesn't necessarily mean that you need to change your game too much. Um, but yeah, you, so you had a lot of success for England uh, in the games you played. And one of the, your greatest moments probably was on tour uh, with England against South Africa. You're part of that historic uh, series win. Um you took those amazing catches, which if anyone listening hasn't seen, definitely go check them out on YouTube because they're pretty special. Um, and you scored some runs as well. Was that a career highlight, would you say? Yeah, I mean, it should be scoring 100 against Australia. It should be um, making a test debut, whatever, scoring a high score or winning a trophy. But that tour... Um, we were massively the underdog, South Africa, and I think were the world number one near enough. Um, we were quite inexperienced. Yeah, we had lots of experienced players, but we had a number of inexperienced players that hadn't played many test matches and going over to South Africa, they had a great side. We weren't expected to do much, but we won that first test at Durban. Uh, I scored runs in that, um, a 70-odd and a 40-odd, um, took a couple of catches then. Um, so we were 1-0 up. And then... I can't remember what test. It might be the third test at Joburg uh, when we won the series. That was honestly the happiest I reckon I've ever been. Um, taking those catches, having an impact in the game, um, not with the bat, not with the ball, but in the field. Um, and when you've trained so hard at something, it rarely comes off that quickly. But I've been working so hard in the build-up to that game um, on like short leg techniques and uh, working with Paul Farbrace, England assistant coach, um, getting in certain positions and to be able to pull off a couple of catches um, so quickly after working so hard on it was just the best feeling ever and changing the game uh, with one of my impacts in the, in the field was brilliant. And honestly, I reckon it's the happiest moment I've ever, ever been. And it was funny because I thought Temba Bavuna, Bavuma caught me off a really good catch of Mornay Morkel at short leg, I think the innings before. And I thought, I'm going to make a better catch than that. I, and I honestly, again, quite arrogantly, but when you're thinking inwardsly, nobody can hear it. So it's not arrogant. You're just talking to yourself. I'm going to make a better catch than that. And, and I did. And it was just such a good feeling. Uh, when you, again, I felt invincible in the field. I can remember Faf Duplessis pulling one and I stopped it. Like at short leg, he pulled one and I stopped it. And like, just when you thought you can do anything, you don't get those feelings, uh, especially not on an international cricket field. 
Uh, it was a brilliant feeling. And I, I've got a picture on my wall, actually. I don't have many cricket. This is the only room, actually. I've got bits and pieces of uh, cricket memorabilia. But other than that, I kind of keep my house my house and no cricket about. Uh, but I've got a picture um, of, of that catch and us celebrating. Um, like Stokesy, probably 10 yards away from me, like still with his hand up because I ran and high-fived him uh, with the whole team around me. It was honestly the best feeling I've ever had, I reckon. Yeah, it was obviously your birthday recently. I think because of that, the catch was doing a few rounds on Twitter. Brilliant how it just keeps coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not a bad thing to keep having going back on Twitter, but it was just such an unreal moment. And I think that series was incredible. And it's no surprise that you were so happy in that moment of that series. But I think the nature of sport is that you obviously have a lot of ups and then there's obviously downs with that as well. And tragically, then everything happened with your heart just for everyone listening would you be able to explain what happened and how shortly after the South Africa series it all happened yeah so I um ever since I was 18 or probably less I've never I've never took time off because I was always like uh I was always terrible if I took too much time off if I took a week off without picking up a bat I was terrible sounds like you said, surely not. You're an international sportsman. But honestly, I was rubbish. If I took time off, I was uh, really bad when I got back into it. So I rarely took time off. But after that South Africa tour, so I was there for the test series and then the ODIs. Uh, and then I took a short break with my uh, girlfriend, now wife. Um, we went on safari and then I took two weeks off and then got back into it. And it was the first game at Cambridge against Cambridge University. And I started having real pains in my chest. One thing led to another. I was on oxygen. I thought I was going to die at 10.30 a.m. in Cambridge. Um, long story short, the, the, the physio there thought I had a virus, um, which was a big red herring, um, which wasn't ideal. But, I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't to know, to be fair. Um, got taken to Nottingham. I had a, a, a doctor's appointment at 6, uh, 6 p.m. because that's the first time a doctor could see me. Um, and got taken home. Uh, on the way home, I didn't have my car keys, so I, I said to Jackson Bird, it was, I'd never even met Jackson Bird, Australian cricketer, um, drove me two hours back home, to, back to Nottingham. I didn't have my house keys, so I said, just drop me off at Trent Bridge. So I was so ill. I was like, honestly, I thought I was going to die. I've missed a lot of the story out here, but I thought I was going to die at 10.30. It's probably now uh, one o'clock, two o'clock. Uh, he dropped me off at Trent Bridge. I was that ill. I curled up. Uh, he dropped me off at Trent Bridge because my mum had my house keys. Um, so, and I didn't because I left my car there. I left all my clothes. I left all my belongings in Cambridge because I was so ill. I just needed to get home. Um, and uh, I curled up in a ball at the bottom of Trent Bridge stairs uh, at the bottom of the dining room. My mum's never, ever been into Trent Bridge, certainly not that far into Trent Bridge. And somehow she found me. I was curled up in a ball, like literally dying, uh, found me, took me home. My heart was going that mental that, I lay on my sofa and the whole sofa was vibrating in my heartbeat. Um, and I was so uncomfortable. It, in the end, I, I thought I need to get more comfortable. I crawled up to the stairs upstairs because I couldn't walk. Um, I crawled up the stairs. As I got up the stairs, I was sick everywhere because my body was packing up. Um, lay in bed. By now, my shoulder was really hurting and I thought oh, I'll massage it. It's funny but because I haven't been to the gym for a, while, a couple of days, so it shouldn't be sore. But obviously... Is the sign of a heart having a heart attack. I rang the doctor. My mum and my girlfriend was there now. Um, rang the doctor and he said, "Don't wait. Go straight to hospital. Don't wait for an ambulance. Go straight to hospital." Got into hospital. Was sick again. 
hook me up to the machines, like on casualty, you know, when they take you in, where all the action happens, they hook me up to the machine and I'll, I'll never forget their face of like astonishment. My heart was going at 265 beats per minute and it had done uh, near on um, from 10.30 a.m. So that was the equivalent of doing five to six marathons on the bounce, um, which I was pretty pleased with. All that hard work and training uh, probably paid off. Even though my heart was so ill, um, so bad, it was obviously in a good place to be able to withstand what I should, uh, what I went through because the condition that I later got diagnosed with ARBC, you're not meant to survive when it presents. And it bearing in mind, it presented seven hours or six hours before I was in hospital. Um, it's a, I got later diagnosed with it. I was, uh, it's called ARVC, arrhythmia right ventricular cardiomyopathy. Uh, it's like Fabrice Mwamba. Uh, if those that aren't listening, those that are listening might know the footballer. Um, and that was how I first realized the significance of it because the doctor, when I first saw him, said, Oh, you've had an event. And I was like, well, What's an event? And he goes, Do you know Fabrice Mwamba? And I'm like, yeah. And that was when I knew it was not ideal. So I was in hospital for three weeks. I hid it from everybody apart from my teammates for the first week. Uh, the media, like not the world's media, but the country's media were like, especially involved in cricket, were asking where I was. And I just said I was ill, which is true. Um, but I didn't tell the significance um, of my illness. And then after a week, I got uh, I realized how bad it was. The doctors realized. So then I decided to retire there and then. Uh, that was, yeah, was tough, really tough, uh, tough one. So it's a shocking story. Thankfully, you you survived the the incident, like Fabrice Mwamba did uh, after collapsing on the pitch. Um, but actually, quite a lot of people who have that condition uh, aren't mm. so lucky. And I think eighty percent of people discover it in post mortem, don't they? So it is obviously really serious. And thankfully, you you got through it. That that statistic about 80% of people discovering in post-mortem perhaps that gives you a little bit of consolation because obviously it's devastating that you couldn't play cricket again you had to retire but at least you knew that you were still going to live so that that must have helped your mindset a little bit yeah that's 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 spot on that's exactly what I thought when he said uh if it's any consolation 80% of these are found in post-mortem and I was like thanks that helps a little bit but um but the fact that it really hurt me because all i i mean as i mean three weeks when you're in hospital is a hell of a long time uh, let alone um days where you think you might have to have a heart transplant um days of thinking you might die and i couldn't physically walk for a week so there's so many different emotions you go through i went through get me right i was just telling the doctors get me right for sri lanka which was in a few weeks time and that was i'd obviously worked so hard to keep my spot to get my spot in the side and i don't want to throw it away for anything so just get me right for sri lanka and they were like yes uh, yeah we'll try we'll try that was in three weeks time and then it was like okay scrap sri lanka i might have to have six weeks off and six months off and then i can come back again and then it was like scrap that you might have to you might not survive you might have to have a heart transplant um, then it was like, all I want to do is exercise again. Then they were like, you won't be exercising properly again, ever. Then it was like, okay, can I drink? No, you can't drink like alcohol. Like it's like, what can you do? I spent all my life being a sportsman, earning good money, working so hard to be here and exercise 24 hours a day. If I wasn't on the pitch, I was in the gym. Um, and that's what I live my life for. I played football, I played rugby, I played cricket. Everything had adrenaline in it. And the one thing with my condition you can't uh, be competitive. You can't be competitive, and that's a killer. 
there's so many things that people don't know. Like every time I walk across the road, I, I think twice because I don't want to run too um, hard across the road. Uh, every time I, I have an alcoholic drink, I think twice. Every time something shocks me, like I think twice. Every time I hear a gunshot or a loud noise, I feel like that's my defibrillator, which is screwed into my chest and my heart going off. Like there's so many things um, that people don't realize um, as a result of that day in Cambridge. And luckily I survived, but there's so many things that people don't realize. Um, but having said that, I'm very lucky, like you said, uh, and that's, that's where you got to take from it. I'm all, I always think about the positives. Um, I've just read, I've just named a number of negative things. That, those are just the things that go on, uh, that I have to live with. But Having said all those negative things, I'm very, very fortunate uh, to live the life I live. And it's, it's a great life. It's about um, embracing those challenges. It was a massive challenge thrown in front of me. Uh, but I've actually, I kind of, I didn't, of course, I didn't love being ill. It was awful, like the worst thing ever. But I've loved everything I've learned as a result of it. I'm a better person now than I was before because of all the things I've learned about myself, about the people around me, about life um, in a really cheesy way. <laughs> but um, it's, no, it, it's great. And I'm very fortunate um, to live the life I do and enjoy things. I mean, there's not many things um, I haven't enjoyed since, uh, minus the illness since I finished playing cricket, which I'm very fortunate um, to say. It's, yeah, it's, it is really inspiring to be fair to hear how you've taken something so tragic and so sudden and been able to take the positives from it and are living the life you're living now. Obviously, the initial thoughts were completely negative. At what point did you start to take the positives from it and how did you go about doing that, do you think? Uh, well, it was the best possible story, really, because I should have died and I didn't. I should never have played all the cricket I played because I had so many heart screenings as you do as an international sportsman or a professional sportsman and every single screening showed it up my condition I mean how bad is that I should have had to retire when I was 19 imagine if you're my mum and I should have died and the one thing that accelerates my condition is exercising it sh I should have been told age 19 that I can't exercise again uh, or to the extent that I certainly did I, I hammered my body uh, for those next seven years and that accelerates my condition. So I was very lucky to have the story that I had. I had the career, I made the money, I met people, I had the experiences, but I survived at the end of it. Um, so I was incredibly lucky. Because it was, I was so lucky, that was a massive positive in itself. Like you said, I shouldn't have survived. Um, so that was a positive in itself. And you, the thing that changed my life, honestly, I mean, social media was incredible that, that they, because this whole thing was a big ego dent as a professional cricketer, as a professional sportsman, international sportsman traveling the world, you're used to in a really arrogant and uh, way you're used to having your ego pumped up by being the best, like, something being a professional sportsman, Oh, James Taylor, professional sportsman. When you've got that taken away from you, when that's all you've been as a, as a person, that is really hard uh, because it's just a big ego dance. So you have to like eat a lot of humble pie uh, and not being a professional sportsman. So that was really tough. But the thing that 
got me back on track, honestly, was challenging myself in another sport because that was all I loved. Sport was what I love and golf uh, changed my life. Uh, I can remember lying in hospital. Um, it was probably two weeks have passed now and it was starting to filter out what I could and couldn't do. And the doctor was like, you can't do this, you can't do that, but you can play golf. And I was like, golf? I'm not playing golf. That's an old man sport. Um, and my wife, Mrs. at the time, um, was like, oh, go on, give it a go. And I was like, not a chance. Go on, give it. So I gave it a go. And it's honestly changed my life. It's given me something to challenge myself at. It's a mental sport. It's a technical sport, just like cricket is. And to start it from scratch four years ago, um, and something I can play all around the world. I can have a low heart rate at, I can learn a new technique, learn a new sport, but be half competitive at. It's honestly changed my life. And as long as the other, as well as the other great things that I've been able to do, like media, um, commentating, writing, um, uh, coaching, uh, now as a selector, I, I've had so many great things. Um, but everybody needs that release and golf um, because it's all I've known sport and a release in that way. I can't have a release in drinking alcohol, which I used to, I used to be terrible and want a bad drinker, but also you have a release, don't you? And when you drink, but I couldn't do that. So golf was, is honestly changed my life. And that's been really brilliant and added a, a real balance to my life. Yeah. I guess when cricket's been such a big part of your life since you were growing up, to have that stripped away from you that's almost like your identity being taken away like James Taylor the professional cricketer his identity is gone he's not a professional cricketer anymore so you need something to fill that void and it sounds like golf has filled that void which is great um do you because you're now involved in cricket as you've just mentioned as a selector as a coach in the media do you have any negative thoughts towards cricket like do you have those thoughts in your head like oh what if or do you get jealous of the players playing because it does seem like you're extremely positive now but do you ever have those negative moments as well um i'm very very lucky that and i'm not saying this is not to do with me this is to do with the way i've been brought up and the people that have shaped me into who i am uh, nothing to do with me because they've created me as a person but I'm very lucky that I haven't wallowed and pitied myself because it would have been very easy for me to go, fuck my bad luck, basically. I, and gone, aren't I so unlucky? Like, but in fact, I'm incredibly lucky. There's a lot, a lot of, um, so many other people around the world that are less fortunate than myself. I've got a great life and I was very lucky to survive because most people don't. Usually, basically the father dies and the children survive because it's a gen genetic condition. So they, they do a um, post-mortem, they find out that he had the heart condition, so now the kids that do have the heart condition are aware of it, so they survive. I was very, very fortunate to survive because most people aren't. Um, so, yeah, I, at no stage did I pity and wallow, um, and I've tried to be as positive as I, as I possibly can be. Um, and like I said, I lead a great life. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's a, a blessing, uh, very fortunate. Um, and I, I, yeah, I, I enjoy what I do. And you've got to stay positive and relish the challenge and be willing to learn from any experience that's thrown at you. And that's what I, I like doing. I've learned so much about myself and the people around me and life. I, I As a sportsman, you're very, um, not self-indulgent, but yes, you're, you're, you're kind of, you're focused on what you need to do. Uh, and 
I'm a lot more rounded person now because of the experiences I've had. I've taken my blinkers off. Now I've got a way better peripheral vision in life. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I'm very fortunate. Well, I guess for you, it's, you're in such a unique and remarkable position in that you're obviously playing in the 2015 World Cup, everything happened in 2016. And then now you're able to have such a big impact on English cricket through being a selector and no bigger impact than the 2019 World Cup. That must have just felt incredible to be, be a part of the winning setup of all of that shortly after everything that happened. Yeah, it's, it's funny how things work and how quickly things turn around. Um, because I started this... So we reinvented the way we play cricket in after the World Cup that I was a part of. We were terrible. I mean, people talk about Peter Moores and Peter Moores got sacked on the back of it, but he was outstanding. What a brilliant coach, one of the best I've ever worked with. And it wasn't him, it was the players that were ultimately to blame because we didn't perform well enough. As a result of that, we transformed um, and ripped up the manual and of the way England cricket plays and we played a totally different brand and I was a part of that to start with um, and to finish it winning the World Cup as a selector it's amazing how things come around and again it's, a, it's an incredibly proud moment but it's got again it's got nothing to do with me this is the thing that you realise when you, you're not a player anymore and you turn into a coach or a selector it's not about you it's about the players um, and you have to uh, you have to understand that um, as uh, when you leave the game it's not about you anymore um, and it was uh, amazing to be part of of that even though like I said it's not about me but to, to start the journey as a player to finish it as a selector and the boys doing so well um, on the biggest stage the most pressure talked about pressure early but the most pressure anybody could probably have on a cricket field they had on top of them home team at Lords um, having won so much for the last four years and and entertain the nation uh, it, it there was a lot of pressure on them to do that and to play the way they wanted to play and especially when the surfaces weren't great uh, that didn't help us um, they were probably the exact opposite surfaces that we wanted believe it or not in our home country, uh, but to play, to have the rounded team that we had to perform when the pressure was on um, was great to see. And that was probably the most I ever enjoyed my cricket, being a part of that team, those early couple of years before I retired after that World Cup, I've never been involved in a team where I've enjoyed it so much. And that was because um, I've never been involved with a team that enjoy each other's success. You play in a, as a professional sportsman. It is an it's an individual individual sport played in a, a team environment, and you so often forget about applauding others in your team, or you do, but you don't really mean it. But this team really meant it, and they loved each other's success. They had great fun doing it, and they entertain entertain themselves as well as the nation. And to be part of that uh, was was great fun. I can remember being twelfth man. Uh, when we got 400 at Edgebaston against uh, New Zealand, when we first like flipped everything around and said, this is the way we're going to play it. Owen Morgan, uh, Farbrace was the coach at the time before Trevor Bayliss came. If you want to hit that first ball for six, do it. Just commit to it. And it, that was the way we went. Uh, we got a really good balance to it. It wasn't just reckless batting like it was at times to start with. Um, but to be 12th man and enjoying yourself 
it should not be the way. When you're 12 men, you should not be enjoying running the drinks on. But I was loving it and loving being part of the team because everybody loved each other's company, got on really well, but enjoyed each other's success. And to see them come out um, and win the World Cup and do everything they talked about doing uh, on the big stage, the biggest stage, was, was brilliant to be a very small part of. Obviously, I started as a player, but I finished it as a selector. And it was great fun to be a part of. Uh, it must have been amazing to be a part of. And as you say, one thing that's very notable about that England team and the current England team is there are so many great characters and there's such a great team spirit. And as a selector, is that something that you look for in players that you select? Are you looking for players who are going to be conducive towards a harmonious dressing room? Like Obviously, you uh, were in a dressing room we've talked about earlier in your career, um, which had a few diver- divisive characters. Does that make you want to select players who potentially aren't the best, but they're going to help? bring to a positive team environment i wouldn't say i wouldn't say a blanket statement yes or no it's if you're good enough and you fit into the environment great um but if you're um if you're unfit or not as let's say not as easy to get on with you're going to be have to doing some let's let's take let's take a away from what I'm doing at the minute as a selector, but my opinions are you've got to be doing, and you've seen it in the past, you've got to be doing something exceptionally well. If you're unfit or not as good a bloke, you've got to be doing that much better than everybody else to make up for those things that you might be lacking. Uh, and as soon as you, if you are that bloke, as soon as you your performance drops a little bit, it's not going to be as easy for you, put it like that. Whereas if you've got some credit in the bank because you're adding so much to the environment in other areas other than just your performance on the field, that's going to put you in good stead. Um, so there's, like, as a selector, there's so many things that we look at. Yes, you need the skill, you need the, the, the mental toughness, you need um, the ability and the technique, but you also... Um, we need the characters we look at characters so much we speak to the psychologists we speak to the snc's there is so many things that go into making an informed decision for both me ed chris silverwood other than just what you see on the pitch that is massive obviously you're not going to play for england if you haven't scored enough runs or taken enough wickets but there is so many things that go into it um and it's and it's great to be a part of we've got an amazing team um the performance director mo bobat Ed Smith, um, head of talent ID, um, Corty, David Court, outstanding team that we've got. And along with a number of so many scouts underneath us that uh, constantly filling out reports on players that we filter through uh, daily when games are going on. There's so many things that lead and filter into us making our best informed decision. Yeah, that's, that's a fascinating insight. And yeah, it, it has been great to see. Um, another thing I'm interested in uh, f- for your work as a selector is, do you conflict with the other selectors at all? Do you have different sort of tastes in players or do, do you always agree? No, we, we, I think it's, it's brilliant um, with Ed because uh, we're very different and we we are always checking and challenging the, the environment that we're in is really healthy because we're always uh, debating. We, we have contrasted opinions all the time. That's the way the world is, and especially with two different, very, very different people. It's brilliant. Uh, he challenges me. I challenge him. Uh, it works both ways. Um, so yeah, it's a very healthy environment and that's a, that's an elite environment. You're always challenging. You're in a great environment 
which enables you to be able to check and challenge and uh, and not agree, disagree, but um, come out with um, the decision that you want. Um, so yeah, like I said, it's really good to be a part of, and it's it's a great environment. I can imagine it's changed quite a bit as well because it's no longer about you know certain scouts being able to go to certain games and things like that. You are able to see pretty much every ball, aren't you? Because I assume it's all filmed. Yeah, exactly. That's uh, that's. I mean, we our sole job is to watch a lot of cricket and make decisions on what we see, and we see everything. Uh, I mean, there's the amount of times that I've been at, let's say, Lords or the Oval or. Canterbury or Durham and I'm there watching the game live but I've got three computers up I've got my computer my MacBook I've got my big iPad and I've got my phone genuinely I've got three streams of other county games going on of players that I want to see so I don't miss a thing there but I'm also watching what's going on in front of me uh, and we if I'm let's say I do miss something or something's uh, another ground that I haven't seen I get every single ball of that individual batting or that individual bowling when I get home so I can watch them. Or on a train down the next day, I catch up with um, whoever, Ollie Pope's 100. I I see every single ball. How did he start? What did he do? Uh, What are his options? Um, I I see every single ball I want to. So in this world that we live in, you, you, you don't miss anything. And also on top of that, we've got scouts, uh, the communication with the, the coaches that I have, whether it's been the director of the cricket, the coaches at the county grounds um, and the scouts is better than it's ever been before. It's really, really good. Uh, we're in a really healthy position at the minute uh, and technology certainly adds to that. It's really good. Yeah, it makes you think what they did back in the day before technology. I don't know how they would have picked a team. No comment, no comment, no comment. <laughs> um, another thing I'd be interested in is obviously you're someone, as we've discussed over the last hour, is you've got a, a lot of resilience, a lot of mental toughness. Uh, and as we've said, a lot of players in the current team seem to have those characteristics as well. Is that something you'd look for in, in players, that mental toughness? And how do you sort of assess that? Yeah, it's, it's really, uh, that. I mean, that's invaluable. In international cricket, You, but to be fair, you don't get into professional cricket I mean, I'm sure some with natural and raw talent and ability and a bit of skill that might lack a little bit of resilience. But to get to first class cricket, you've got to have a certain amount of it. But then to succeed in international cricket with the with the environment that you're in and the scrutiny, the external pressures that people don't see when you're looking in, you don't see it. When you're looking out, you you hear it and you see it a lot when you're playing international cricket. And that's that's without thinking about the step up in quality and the skill level that you're being introduced to. Um, yeah, it's, there's so many other things, like I said, on top of the skill level of an individual, the technique of an individual, you, we speak to psychologists all the time. Um, and we need to understand that individual as well as we possibly can to make that informed decision. Um, so that's why we speak to all of the people that we can, and whether it's their director of cricket, whether they're their batting coach, whether it's their S and C coach, to know um, how fit they are and to know what kind of a character they are is so important. So we get as rounded a picture as we possibly can. So we understand the individuals um, as much as we possibly can before we make that decision to to put them into um, an England cricket team. Because obviously, unless they're going to have a positive impact, you don't want to to put them in to that environment. 
Yeah, so it's very important because obviously it's such a psychological sport. What would you say was the most uh, psychologically demanding aspect of it when you were playing? Um, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I think learning how to block things out and staying in the present is the hardest because I, I mean, I was pretty good. My, like one of my strengths was adapting, but also trying to be resilient and mentally tough and deal with whatever's thrown at you. But the hardest thing is when you get giddy and you look too far ahead. And I did that all the time. I can remember in a test match being 70 odd, not out thinking like overnight and thinking how good this is going to be. And like all the people at home watching um, that you owe something to how good it's going to be for them. Like you are, I'm so far ahead of where I need to be rather than just thinking how I'm going to get there. As a batsman, you've got to break it down. You've got to be not getting too giddy. Think about the next ball and what you need to be doing to stay in the present. Um, I think the hardest thing is to be stay in the present all the time rather than getting too giddy and looking too far ahead. And that's the same with all sport, I imagine. Is not looking too far ahead, not looking, not getting too giddy, keep your feet on the floor. But actually, like I mean, staying in the present, thinking about the next ball, break it down. It's the same in golf, rather than like you stay in the present, think about your next shot, rather than getting too far ahead. That must have been so important in the World Cup as well, because it was kind of like the 05 Ashes in that this craze was sweeping the nation and everyone was getting so involved in England going on to win the World Cup. It's testament to people like Stokes and Root that they were able to stay in the moment and do the job so well. Yeah, incredible um, what those what those guys did. And that, that pressure is, is probably more pressure than any, any England cricket team's ever had because they brought the pressure on themselves in a good way because they've been so successful and they were expected to do, expected to win, but win in a certain way as well because they've done so much over the last four years. They were number one in the world for a reason because they dominated a lot of oppositions and they were expected to win. So that puts more pressure on you. Um, it's almost easier if you come in as underdogs and nobody expects much of you, like most um, England teams in the past because you haven't done as well but these guys have been so successful playing a brand of exciting cricket and they were easy to love that everybody was cheering them on um, so to and to have a couple of slip-ups previously uh, and to come back from that uh, in the tournament at Lords, I mean was, was just amazing and especially when they were down and out in the actual game itself to find a way to win and that's the sign of a great team. Whatever team, whatever sport you're playing in, you know when you're playing in a good team because you you find a way to win. Everybody knows their roles, which is number one, so important. But like you've got in that team, in the squad, we had 15, 16 match winners. Every single person was a match winner. Uh, and yes, you don't want to leave it to anybody else, but you know the man behind you will do the job if you don't do it. Um, and it, yeah, it was just, it was brilliant and they get on with each other in sport. You don't have to get on with the, the guy standing next to you, but it certainly helps if you do. Um, and the environment's great to, to be a part of, um, enjoying each other's success is, is brilliant. Um, and those guys did it outstandingly well. That's fascinating. Really, really interesting insight. I've just clocked that we've, we've been an hour and I know you've got to get on and you're probably having an early one as well, ready for the test Ooh. match. So. 
<laughs> yeah, I will be actually. Uh, <laughs> my alarm for four fifteen. I would like to say I've got a lot to do, but in lockdown, there's only so much you can do. There's only so many box sets and series you can watch. <laughs> What's the box set you're watching at the moment? You know what? Um, this is us. Is yeah, oh, yeah, it's actually a real good feel-good film, like a series. And the fact that there's five series is a bonus because we've got a lot of lockdown to come. Um, do you know the best result in lockdown so far is having not watched Game of Thrones? I watched the whole Game of Thrones in the first lockdown, <laughs> and it was. A lot I, I'm not. That's not my kind of thing. I'm not into. I like real life um, fiction no good like i like real life uh and i'm no good when somebody said to me oh there's flying dragons around i'm like not a chance i'm watching that but when i got into it I, it was it was brilliant it was a great one 100 i'm exactly the same yeah I, I don't like fancy or anything like that at all and yeah was so against it and then finally got sucked into it and just binged the whole exactly. thing <laughs> exactly it's bad in the middle of the day when you're sat watching three episodes on the bounce you're like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> yeah but yeah, th thank you so much for that. That was fascinating. Really, really enjoyed it. And yeah, thanks for giving up your time. And thanks for having me, guys. Uh, great work as well. I've watched a number of your episodes, your podcasts. It's, it's really good to see. So keep up the good work. Thanks so much. It's so just good to chat to you for an hour. So thanks. No worries, guys. You take care. Enjoy This Is Us. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm back to that now. <laughs> Cheers, guys. See you in a bit. Cheers. That was an absolute pleasure to speak to James today and hear about his inspirational journey, learning how he reached the top in cricket and how he's dealt with the tragic turn of events that unfortunately followed. I loved hearing about the highs of his career, including those phenomenal performances against Australia. He seemed to be just such a big game player and he always enjoyed seizing the challenges rather than shirking away from them. But for me, the biggest takeaway was how incredibly positive he is, despite having his cricketing career so cruelly taken away from him at just 26 years old. He went from that dramatic series win in South Africa and the highs of all of that to the lows of being dangerously ill in hospital. And what's incredible is not only has he managed to compute that dramatic turn of events, but he's managed to stay so positive throughout. We've spoken to athletes before who have talked about how difficult it is when out injured, but for James it's even worse because it's not like he can just do a few months rehab and get back to playing. He literally can't do any sport at all ever again. And when he was listing all the things he can't do now, I was there thinking like, geez, those are some of the best things in life. So it's incredibly inspiring to hear that he's so positive about his situation and he focuses on what he can do now, like playing golf rather than what he can't. And it's great to also hear that he's still involved in the game and bringing so much positivity to cricket in the media and as a selector. There's that photo of him holding the World Cup the night that England won at Lords and the comments back are that no one deserves that moment more than him and it's completely true. To go through what he went through and to have as positive an outlook on life as he does, even despite all those tough moments, it's a really powerful story actually. So thank you so much to James um, for offering up his time and for sharing his story with us and as well for his kind words on what we're doing with the podcast. As always, if you have any feedback, do send it through or leave a comment on Apple Podcasts. The feedback for the Lou episode was incredibly positive and we really do appreciate all the help. So thank you.